up until then I thought, oh, well, I'm being mean if I say no. You say no. Yeah. yeah. I never thought, oh, I'm being arrogant if I say no. I'm like, why is that arrogance? So she said, well, why do you think that you're the only person that can help them? That's pretty mm -hmm. arrogant. Mm -hmm. Welcome everyone to episode three of Authentic as Fuck, where we talk about building an authentic as fuck personal brand. Today is a special day because we have our first guest ever <laughs> in three episodes. His <laughs> name is Michael Brody Waite. Um, he is author of Great Leaders Live Like Drug Addicts. He has a program called Mask Free Program. Um, he's, he's like a three-time entrepreneur, one of them, one of those companies. He's founder of three, three companies. One of them happened to be like an Inc. 500 company. Um, yeah. So, and most importantly, he is Elizabeth Brody Waite's husband. I was going to say, that's the most important thing for anybody yeah. that like actually watches this. They're going to be disappointed because I am the less attractive <laughs> version of the Brody Waite couple. <laughs> <laughs> so you another great news is you guys just have had a new member new addition to the family yeah the reason that i'm here and elizabeth isn't actually we were going to do this all together but um our son came early so um our son is six days old and i thought it'd be a great time to to have an authentic conversation with someone that i love and trust and in, in you um because there's a lot of stuff that happens when you're going through that but I also like, yeah. I, I was excited when you guys started this podcast and I was also jealous. I was like, I really? should have done that. <laughs> yeah, dude. I was, yes. Because you, you've been an advisor and a supporter for so long and you gave me so much great advice and you've been helping us build the mastery program. And for the longest time you said, you know, just start a podcast and just, just be you. And even though one of the reasons I'm so obsessed with authenticity is I am so sensitive to how much I want to manage people's perception, how much the world makes me want to do that. And I like kept thinking about what do people want to hear? Or what do I need to create? And when I saw you and my wife doing a podcast where it was called authentic as fuck, which is totally what I would have called mine if I wasn't worried about what I'm supposed to do. Um, I think it's a brilliant name and I think it's true. And I think you are authentic as fuck. And then the second thing is just watching you and Elizabeth just talk. I was like, man, the only reason that I didn't do that is because I was holding back my unique perspective. And so I was just super like, I mean, I'm kind of playing up the jealousy beast, you know, piece for like drama, but like the truth is I'm just proud of you guys for starting this and I'm excited to be a part of it. Oh, thank you so much. You're, you, you can be on every episode if you want. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll let the listeners vote on that one. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you guys haven't uh, checked out his TED talk, like his TED talk is amazing. Um, so you should definitely do that after you finish listening to this one. <laughs> yeah, don't leave this right now. I'm basically, going to do the TED talk. It's just going to be conversational. It's called "Great Leaders Do What Drug Addicts Do." Yeah, just hit 1.8 million views. I wish I could tell you that I don't. Holy track shit! That, really? But I do. Yeah, <laughs> that happened quickly, huh? <laughs> yeah like we were um we were looking at it about this time last year was it i don't know a couple hundred thousand views um but yeah it's, it's is it exponential 
It was, it has slowed down, but it's still like a thousand new views a day. I mean, that's still the way I look at it is I wanted to carry the message to impact one leader and one addict. And I more than accomplished that goal. And now I get to carry this message and, you know, meet, I mean, I think one of the cool things is when we met, when we met you, we were looking for personal brand specialists and you were the only one that was like, I watched your Ted talk before you ever reached out to me. And then as a result in our talk, you were the only one that actually was truly interested in what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And I remember I got off the call with Stacy on our team and I was like, shit, man, he's the one, but now I'm scared he won't take us. Like then I thought <laughs> we had to interview to be your client. And so it was just, uh, it was totally. Yeah, we had team. that whole conversation with Elizabeth. Did, oh, did you? Wait, so you talked to other agencies that like focuses on personal brands or you talked yeah. to Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I thought yeah, you talked to just regular, uh, regular agencies. Like. We had, and then, and every regular agency was trying to convince us that they knew how to do what we were doing, but they didn't. Um, mm-hmm. So we went in search of, we basically found personal brands that we liked or we thought could be similar. And we went and tried to find their marketing companies and mm-hmm. all of them uh, really turned me off. Like you are the only personal brand um, expert that I've met that cares about the person and not the brand. Like Mm -hmm. you care about the person. Most of these personal brand people are like, I'm going to make you rich or make you a celebrity or like all this ego shit. And it was just, it was such a (laughs) turnoff, dude. It was such a turn. Like they thought it was impressing me, them telling me how famous they're going to make me. And I'm like, I don't care about that shit, dude. I don't, I don't, I don't care. So I want to make an impact. So I understand reach is required. But it's just like, I remember one of them, like their, their tagline was like, do you want to be famous? Like, we'll make that happen. I think that's, <laughs> I think there are a lot of people like that though. That's what I'm saying. That's why you're a needle yeah. in a haystack. Like you care no, about- No, I mean like, I think person. there are a lot of people, a lot of people who want to be famous. Oh yes. Yeah, actually you're, you're right. So like, it's a good business decision on their part. Uh, um, I'm just not their target customer, but like uh, to me, you- like, even when I look back at some of the videos that you posted with like you and Mel back in the day, like you, one of your challenges historically as, as a leader of your company has been, you care too much in some ways. You don't, you don't take care mm-hmm. of yourself. Like you overextend yourself, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, you were the only person that was like, okay, I want you to work the program on me. And then when you did it, um, I hope Tiff isn't listening, but I felt like Tiff <laughs> was kind of doing it you yeah. know, as part of like the service thing, but you were yeah. like really into it and like you yeah. did it for real. Yeah. Um, and ever since then, you've like actually oh. cared as a human. So I think, you know, I don't know, you're, you're, you're a rare yeah. thing. I mean, it, it was a free workshop for me. So <laughs> <laughs> the truth was at that point, I was giving them away to pretty much anyone. That <laughs> son, so, <laughs> But I also wanted to like fully do it from the, the audience because that's that's the reason why i wanted to do it and that's the reason why i went to like gabby's workshops that's the reason why i went to uh level one for baptiste because i wanted to fully emerge myself and kind of think like what what the audience would think right yeah but like that requires a level of commitment it also requires a level of empathy and empathy is usually pretty low in people that have huge egos that's true. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, yeah, I think, uh, thank you for, first of all, thank you for saying that. Uh, yeah, dude, I mean it. 
I, I mean, I, I, I am aware that we are doing your podcast right now and then people that are following you will watch. But I think my motive here is I want people to understand. I think anyone who doesn't like know you personally, just what a special human you are. And like, frankly, me being your friend and loving you isn't a huge compliment because I care about people. Elizabeth got me a card for our anniversary that literally said, I hate everybody but you. Elizabeth doesn't like anyone. <laughs> like she doesn't like she got such awesome a great relationship <laughs> with her family. She has a relationship with me. She has like two good, like really close friends. And she's like, that's all I need. Super introvert, hard, you know, it's it's hard to get time with her. She does not want to get to know people and and be their friend unless she actually really cares. And she talks about you probably like, you know, just as much as her uh, best friend Kate. Um and oh, so oh. like, I mean. I don't like to be friends with assholes myself, but um, <laughs> I think the I think the real compliment is I'm how so much I appreciate you. Oh, uh, thank you. Right, yeah, thank you for saying that. Stuff, <laughs> thank you for saying that because, like, I sometimes I, you know, people that follow me on Instagram, they, a lot of them are designers and freelancers, and they, they're in client services like me. And I always tell them, right, like you, you have to have this type of relationship with clients. And a lot of think a lot of people I don't think understand what that really means, right? Like, but yeah. like the relationship that we we have, I think when most people from the outside see it, it, it goes way beyond just what a typical client vendor relationship would be, right? Oh, dude, totally. So, We've had, I mean, and it's not just the fuzzy stuff; it's the it's the difficult conversations that you have. Yeah, and you can tell that both people are scared to share what they're going to say because they're worried it's going to hurt the other person's feelings. At the same time, they're scared they're not going to get what they want. Um, in the meantime, they don't know how to have the difficult conversations. So like one of the best things is we just like, I know that when we've had them, we just like acknowledge, hey, this is a difficult conversation. Uh, yeah, I think that's like just that little trick right there can be so helpful uh, when you're having them. And I think that you have to have them with a human that actually cares yeah. or else, you know, they're just going to try to manipulate. I mean, them. most people don't do it period let alone sure. with clients <laughs> in our mask assessment. That is the number one mask that uh, people wear is avoiding difficult conversations, which yeah. makes sense because you're see. scared yeah. as shit of getting kicked out of the tribe. Mm -hmm. Whether you're going to tell something to someone that they're not going to want to hear or something that's going to Im negatively impact the relationship. Um, they see you differently, but like that is the most direct way for you to get kicked out of the tribe and we're inherently driven to try to be a part of the tribe. So it becomes something where we, no matter what difficult conversation we know we need to have, we start, we, we censor ourselves and we don't have them. Yeah. Let's, um, let's have that conversation. Cause I feel like there, there's a lot to uncover there. Yeah. Cause like or originally um, I wanted to talk about, I mean, it's up to you. Like we can talk, I wanted to talk about like building a church, that whole concept of, building a personal brand, but uh, we can also talk about this. Whatever. Uh, I have, we can do it together. So there are a lot of difficult conversations that you have to have in order to build a personal brand and in order for me to build a mass free church. So we can, let's talk about that experience and we could uh -huh. use the, you know, we, we teach their four masks, avoid difficult uh -huh. conversations is one of them. We can use that lens um, to, to kind of show where all the places where we haven't had them or we did have them. Of build like building a church yeah okay like starting with your intervention on me when the pandemic hit and you're like dude you're not doing yeah this that right. was like the first i don't not maybe not the first but first kind of big difficult conversation we had right yeah um, 
and and I think you, yeah, I think you were, you were the one who first became super vulnerable with me, like when you told me about like what happened with your team and the yeah. conversation that you had with your team. Yeah, and I found that like I was like, wow, because that's the first time when a client had admitted <laughs> something that's like a weakness or vulnerable with me ever, right? So just gave me chills. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, that never happened. Like f- for me to help them grow their brand, like I need to know all of their weaknesses because that's how I find their strength. But nobody ever, ever wants to show their weaknesses. I literally have to like break it down. I have to like go behind their back, ask their employees. <laughs> like, it's just crazy. That, it is amazing how much we hold ourselves back from our potential just by hiding the parts that we think people will judge as weak. As a recovering drug addict, I'm here to tell you that the single greatest thing I ever did was admit that I had a weakness in my addiction. And that's become my superpower. Like vulnerability is a superpower. And it's actually really cool because nobody does it. And it's not something that you have to pay money to be able to do. It's not something that you go get an MBA to be. You literally just need to experience discomfort and like say what's actually happening as opposed to make up lies and try to spin uh-huh. plates and manage perception. It's just, it's so inefficient. It's like, it goes against everything that everybody actually wants. It's just, it's crazy. But like, but we so after need- after you've been doing it for years, right? Because like you, yeah. you went through the whole recovery program, you you had a whole entire career for like eight years. You started your own business after that. And so after you went through all of that, like pretty much over a decade, decade of a lot longer than that of practicing this, is it still hard for you? Like, hell yes. Hell yes. Cause, cause the, the 17 years of practice in being vulnerable doesn't overcome the 41 years of reinforcement from my biology, my psychology, and the world to not do that. My 17 years of vulnerability practice will always be a speck of dust compared to how much pressure there is to wear a mask. Even when we were going through the pandemic, I remember at one point, I didn't know what we were going to do for our company. Mm-hmm. We were screwed. We were funding the whole thing on um, speaking fees in the first year, two years and everything I I'd invested so much money in this and all that kind of stuff. And they went away overnight. And I remember a couple of weeks after that, I was doing a postmortem with Brooke on our team. And I was like, how could I have been a better leader through that? She's like, I wish you had just told me that you didn't know what you were going to do. And here I am, you know, writing the, this book, doing that Ted talk, practicing how important it is to share vulnerably where you are. And without realizing it, I was in such a scared position that I went to the 41 years of conditioning and the centuries of conditioning in our society and all that kind of stuff. And, and so I've got to be really intentional in my practice every single day as a recovering addict to cultivate the power of vulnerability and authenticity. Because if I don't, like we have a saying in recovery, we say, uh, when we're in the rooms, we say, I, when I'm in here, my disease is out there in the parking lot doing push-ups, getting stronger every day. So I have to come in here to keep up with it. 
I think the same thing is true for vulnerability and authenticity. I think that we, the world is always doing push-ups and getting stronger and stronger and trying to tell us that we can't be ourselves and that we shouldn't and that it's not safe if we are. So I don't think that you can be a vulnerable and authentic person unless you are intentional and you do it like it's a, like it's a workout, like yeah. you're trying to build biceps. Yeah, it, it's not the default. It's not the default. Hell no. <laughs> we have a saying in, in, the, in recovery also. We say it is unnatural for a drug addict to be clean or sober. And that really like that hits home. Like it is unnatural. That means we have to do unnatural things. Even if you've been sober for like decades, 17 years, 30 years, doesn't make a difference. Oh. The, the disease is still there, man. Like um, we, uh, when we were in the hospital after we had our son and we're in the recovery room, um, I remember they gave my wife painkillers cause she had just given birth, which I could never do. Um, and they gave her Tylenol and Motrin and the pain that wasn't helping enough. And they asked her if she wanted an oxy and, um, she said yes, because the pain was really difficult. And when they handed it to her, I was jealous. 17, I'm in a couple of days, I'll be 18 years clean. And, and, but the disease of addiction is still there. And That's so I gotta crazy. be intentional. Yep. That's crazy. It's very strong. For me, what I found is, um, so like I didn't think about authenticity. I was talking to Elizabeth about this. I didn't think about authenticity at all until like we did that workshop and, you know, and I was actually like, you know, kind of, I knew that I, I hate being fake and I knew that like a lot of people are fake. So I knew that, but I didn't know, like, I didn't see myself as, oh, I'm, I'm so authentic or anything like that, right? But I know that, like, I, <laughs> fakeness makes me, like, cringe. Right? Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> after you told me that, I, and I, I've been kind of, like, reading up on a lot and just all about authenticity, what I noticed is, like, um, it happened, like, in my adult, like, I think I was fake throughout most of my life. And then like in my thirties, I kind of like learned to get over it. But I think there are certain areas that I've became comfortable with. So I like of not being fake, right? Like admitting like weaknesses or there are certain things that I became really comfortable just admitting not being right. fake, but then, or like talking different. Cause I used to talk really different. I, I used to try to talk a certain way. Um, <laughs> wait, like, like, like what way? Like, you know, I, I would, I would talk differently at work versus yeah. like with my friends, you know, like with my friends, you know, I, I, mean, I would be a lot more like using slangs or like, you yeah. know, kind of, yep. but then at work, I didn't do that. So, and so, I, so I got, I, I got in the world, all of that. So I, like now it, it's easy for me to not be fake in that, those sense. But there are certain things that are, that I am faking, that it's still just as hard for me to get over as 20 years ago. And that's so what like, are those areas, those are the things that we always talk about, right? Having that difficult conversation, right? Like, uh, yeah. and I didn't think of that as, okay, like, that's me being fake. That's me not being authentic, right? Until like, I started listening to you because like me, not wanting to confront my clients that I don't have time to do that. Or I don't have, you know, like I, I can't work with you, for example, or like, or f even firing somebody, right? 
I don't, yeah. I, I never thought of categorize that as like not being authentic, right? <laughs> mm. So, but, so what was authenticity to you? It was just the admitting weaknesses. Yeah, just like not being fake, right? Like, but so you know what's you know what's interesting <laughs> about that is in our mask assessment, we have four levels of authenticity. It's the fourth level where your authenticity is driven by essentially your concern about how what you say or do will impact others versus what they think of you. And so the sharing of the weaknesses is one thing because you're worried what people will think. But one of the things that you're describing that I know is a lot of it where you still experience that mask is not in being scared of disclosing something that makes you weak. It's in, in saying or doing something that's going to make someone else yeah. feel yeah. weak or uncomfortable or whatever, yeah. which is much better, but it's, it's different. It's still a mask. It's still, it's still a mask. I'm still being fake, even yes. though I'm, I like, I'm not telling them something because I don't want to, I don't want to ruin their day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but I've seen you, whether it's with us or other clients, I've seen you ruin your day out of fear that you're going to ruin a client's day. Uh, but yet what you needed to say was perfectly reasonable. And so you were actually trying to live their life for them instead of living uh, yours. That's, that's kind of like, egotistical because it's me trying to be controlling of them <laughs> the it's funny you say that because so as i got more successful and i got somewhat known in the national business community i would get all these like coffee requests and i just fucking hated them okay. um i don't like networking and small talk for small talk say i can small talk with someone that i know will go deep and as my friend uh -huh. but i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to meet for coffee i honestly don't i don't give a fuck about coffee so um so the thing is, is that I kept having trouble saying no, because I thought essentially it would make me weak or something like that. And I was looking for a different way to think about it. And my sponsor um, said, you saying yes is arrogance. And that broke me because up until then I thought, oh, well, I'm being mean if I say no. You say no. Yeah. yeah. I never thought, oh, I'm being arrogant if I say no. I'm like, why is that arrogance? And she said well, why do you think that you're the only person that can help them? That's pretty mm -hmm. arrogant. There's a lot of people in this world that can help a lot of people. There's a lot of options, a lot of resources. Why are you the only person that can help them? That's pretty arrogant if you think that you're basically God's gift. And, and I'm not saying I'm great at, at saying no. I'm a lot better I just got at it than I was. Yeah, okay, well, why? No, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely know, like, right. So, so what did that, but what did that, so, cause I got goosebumps when she said, I was like, oh my God, but like what happened yeah. inside you just now? So you got goosebumps. Is it? Because it's, it's true. It's like, I, cause subconsciously, like, I think I'm, I'm so good that I'm the only person that can like help that, per, that client or I'm the only person that can, but it's, it's, kind of it's the same as like why i don't delegate work right like do you actually think that you're the best like so my thing isn't even that i think i'm the best mm -hmm. i can sit here and be rational and tell you there's probably someone even better than me to help them with what they need like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it's it's that there's a big difference between um <sighs> acknowledging your limitations and surrendering someone else's experience 
you, the reason that you say yes is because you want to be in service to the people that you care about. Mm-hmm. It is counterintuitive to be in service to them by saying no. That is fundamentally counterintuitive. But like, do you but, actually think you're the like only when, I'm the for them? I'm the best person to help them. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, they yeah. need like it's kind of like I I hear this a lot in corporate world where a lot of lot of employees say like, oh, this place will go, you know, this place will like go to shit without me. Like, if I if I leave tomorrow, like this comp- this place will fall apart, right? I'm like, yes, you leave tomorrow, this place will be fine. It's like, trust me, right? But a lot of people feel that way. It, I felt that way when I worked in corporate. Yeah, you know oh, what me I mean? too. Oh, and that's yes. It. I would say it all the time. And then uh, I left and I was like, oh my God, they're just fine. And so then yeah, I started yeah, yeah. my company <laughs> and I had employees telling me, you guys would be screwed if I wasn't here. I'd be like, dude, I used to think that too, but I'm, I'm, I don't want to scare you. But if I'm, I'm the CEO, if I'm not here, you'll be fine. Like, <laughs> like you guys will be fine. Yeah, that's. Yeah, it's humbling. Yeah. But that's what I mean. That's, but that's, I'm pretty much doing the same thing with my clients, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I, I like your, <laughs> I, your motive is cleaner. It's just, it, like I said, that last level of authenticity is so hard because it shifts everything from I'm scared that I will be weak to I'm scared I'm going to hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. And that is just so hard. We are so codependent and enmeshed and it's just, that is really hard. And so, especially if you're somebody that really loves helping people, that can feel like you are aborting from your mission and your purpose in this world. And you probably feel your purpose. Actually, I know you do. It's kind of arrogant to say, I know, but you probably feel your purpose to serve greater than you feel your responsibility to take care of yourself. Yeah. I know that's true because I've had texts from you saying that you've been up for 48 hours or 72 hours. (laughs) And Gigi's like, uh, no one is allowed to talk to son. Because he's, he's on the equivalent of a bender, except, oh, except while the crack addict or the meth addict out there is like using and stealing from people, you're on a bender, yeah. and you're like helping people. And I don't, even that bothers me, right? Like I know TJ is really strict. So me knowing that also bothers me because I don't want like the clients to feel like, <laughs> but so, so, so how much of that is, how much of that is me really feeling bad? Um, like. How much of that is because I, I, I'm doing, I'm so selfless that I want to help them. And how much of it is like, I'm being selfish because at the end of the day, I'm worried about how they're going to think of me. Like, will they not like me because I'm not serving them? Well, like, I wasn't going to go there and yeah. I'm not Brene Brown. So I haven't done like all the research that she's done. Uh-uh. Um, but I would say it's probably like 80% selfish. Like okay. there's that 20% of, mm-hmm. I truly just think oh, I'm the only one that can help. And I really just want them to be okay. And I'm scared what's going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. If not, even when you're scared of what's going to happen some, to someone, if you don't help them, if you choose to help them against what's best for you, you are actually selfishly trying to medicate a feeling in your body. You're not actually, your brain is saying I'm helping them but you're actually trying to solve for, you know, irritation and, mm-hmm. and the feelings you're trying to make them act different or have a different experience so that you can feel better. Um, at the same time, like, you know, let's just say that, Hey man, if that's how bad it is for you, then you've won. You're a great person. Like, that's great. I think a lot of times it's more of, I'm scared of what they'll think if I don't help them. And then that's, that's really like where I'd say that that's still in the selfish level. 
But I think at the end of the day, when we are being helpful to other people, I think to some degree, all of it is selfish. And I don't think that that means that it's bad. I think we just don't have a very convenient binary way of thinking about what quote unquote care looks like. Like we are human beings that are driven by thoughts and feelings and we have this innate desire to survive and we're going to do these things. And so we have to draw the lines around our morals and that's how authenticity looks different for different people. But at the end of the day, you are probably on some level sometimes, and I would actually challenge you to like try to pay attention which times when you go outside of your capacity to help someone, are you doing it because you're scared that they'll think that you let them down versus how many times are you doing it and you're scared of what will happen to them if you don't help? Because mm. those are two different kinds. You know what? I think subconsciously, like not so, not so subconsciously, <laughs> um, because I think like really deep down inside, I know everybody's going to be okay. If, like if, if I disappear tomorrow, <laughs> like nobody's going to die. Like every, all those businesses are going to keep going fine without me. Right. So I, I know that. So maybe most of it is like, you know, that, that, that I don't want somebody to be disappointed at me. Yeah. Like for me, it's not that I don't care if they hate me. I don't care if they, I just don't want them to be, I, I hate disappointing people. It probably comes from my, like my childhood. Like when, when I come home with bad grades or something like that, like I, I rather somebody like hate me than be disappointed by me. <laughs> so what would happen if you came home when you were a kid with bad grades, what would happen to you? Like, like my dad, like at, at a certain point, like my dad would like just be really strict on me. Like, like he'll beat me or whatever it is. But at a some, some certain point, like he stopped doing that. And he just like looked disappointed. And that was well, like a. When did bigger, he stop doing that? Maybe like when I was in high school. Okay. So you were just really casual about him laying, laying his hands on you. Yeah. That's not casual. That, that you're, yeah, you're a child. That's a, that's a I, pretty common thing. Like I've, I've talked about this before, but it's, it is a, in the co Korean families, it's like a pretty normal thing. And I, every time I talk, tell my friends about it, they're like, what? <laughs> but yeah. And, and so let's, how about this? So like, I'm not interested. I, I don't really spend a lot of time in philosophy because I can get lost there. Practically speaking, no judgments on what's culturally norm normal. If you yeah, are, I'm a not child, saying that it's right. Yeah, <laughs> I know, but like, but I'm I'm literally saying I'm going to suspend judgment, and I'm not going to say what's right for you. And I think that's arrogance on my part to say what's right for your culture, for your family, for whatever. But practically speaking, if you were a child and you were at home and you were relying on your parents to keep you safe you come home with bad grades, you're going to deal with the very manifestation of a threat to safety coming from the source. Mm -hmm. No wonder in high school, all he had to do was give you a look. Mm -hmm. Like he'd already installed all the buttons. Right. And, yeah, and again, yeah. I'm not going to project negative intent on him. That's probably how he was raised and, 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 and all that stuff happens. But yeah. at the end of the day, your very, your safety was threatened. If you let the people around you down, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yes, it's very small and trivial, relatively speaking now, where it's like, oh, a client might not like it if I miss a deadline. 
but that's the same the, saying that that's small is just like saying him giving you a look is small. You got to trace it back to how did you learn this behavior? Yeah, yeah. And and no, yeah, it that, it's small. totally you were yeah. It it like through kind of like you know like self inquiry and meditation and stuff like that. I've totally kind of got to a point where I'm like, oh, that was like that totally fucked me up like my whole life. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Because like it, like you said, like you know, I, I even that when I was like working. I was constantly worried about like what my boss is gonna say, like, like that stayed with me all all throughout my life, and, and even I'm sure like there's small, no, like there's some of it even now, and that's probably why I'm I'm scared to like disappoint clients and stuff like that, right? Yeah, but yeah, it's I, I think that so this is one of the things that we talk about a lot um, in the mastery program is the mastery program would not exist. If when everybody read a book on how to say no, they just started saying no. There's plenty of books about that. There's plenty of talks. There's plenty of podcasts. Um, vulnerability and, and sharing a weakness. You can read a book, watch a watch a video, listen to a podcast. Mastery program would not exist if that's all you needed. People would just be sharing their weaknesses left and right on the sidewalk to strangers. Difficult conversations. There's this great book uh, out there called Crucial Conversations. People read it. They go back to avoiding difficult conversations. And then like everybody says, share your unique perspective, share your unique perspective. And you know what? There's a lot of tools out there for how to do that. But then we all like hold back our unique perspective. The shit is not rational. It's not logical. And as a result, we keep looking for logical tools when what we need are like truly behavioral tools that account for how rational this stuff is. So for example, for you, it seems ridiculous that you are killing yourself to, you know, go past the to make a deadline and that somehow how your dad responded to you having bad grades installed that. But it's important to acknowledge that because if that's the driver, then you're not using logic. You're that, you're that eight-year-old kid or whatever that is terrified of what's going to happen when he comes to the place that he's supposed to be safe. Mm -hmm. And as a result, what that customer thinks isn't just like a little scary. It's a lot oh. scary. But this is like literally what makes people not be home with their children, me included. Mm -hmm. This is what makes people pursue more and more and more and it's not because we're trying to achieve a logical yeah. thing. It's an, it's an irrational thing. Does that make sense? So how do you, yeah, it totally makes sense because for example, like if I'm about to like go in a meeting with a client and I know that like, I know that maybe the stuff that I've done is subpar or I know that I need to deliver bad news. I know that I'm going to be disappointing them. Right? Like, Deep inside in my heart, I, I get almost that same emotion. Like in my entire body, I feel the same emotion that I feel when I'm yeah. about to face my dad when I come home with a bad grade, right? Like, so right. I feel that emotion. So yeah, it's, I totally understand like that. It's, it's, it's completely logical. So how do we, so for people that are having that, like they're doing all this illogical dumb shit because it's it's because of childhood trauma or whatever it is that's this emotion that's inside them like how do we overcome that so i think the the number one thing that i learned in recovery um from addiction is they taught me it's about action over insight so a lot of times we think if we can just know or understand why something is happening we can change it 
And what I learned in recovery was if we can act differently, we can start to think differently. So what we do in the mastery program, and I think you've been through this before, but I'll do a truncated version is we have a specific exercise, two exercises that we use when we practice the probably the most important principle that we have, which is surrender the outcome. And so everybody kind of knows that you should surrender, like, because it make you happier and, and have energy, but then all of us are focusing on things we can't control. So the first thing that we have to do is be able to go through a set of actions that actually create the insight rather than us trying to have the insight. So we'll take the right actions. And so like in this example, if you're going into the meeting with the client, you're saying the fear feels like a nine or 10, right? On like a scale uh, of one uh, to 10. Uh, uh. Okay. So if all fear, this is one of our high, uh, one of my beliefs, all fear comes down to either a fear of physical death or a fear of social death. Human beings need two things to survive. We need to physically be able to shelter ourselves, not get eaten by a tiger because we're actually pretty weak in terms of our bodies, like saber tooth tiger, any type of tiger will kill you. Uh -huh. So we have to, in order to physically survive, we also have to be social. We have to work with other humans to overcome the animals that can absolutely destroy us. Like, dude, me against an elephant, elephants aren't very like aggressive. It would kill me. It would absolutely stomp my ass. So I need to be with other human beings. So when it comes to these fears of you going to that meeting with a client, the real question is you're scared on nine to 10 and they're going to be um, upset, but objectively speaking, let's get to the root of that fear. Like, what are you scared of? Are you scared that you're going to experience a social death? Like they're not going to like you. They're going to fire you. Your friends are going to turn on you. Gigi's going to leave you all that kind of stuff. Or are you more scared that, Hey, if this doesn't go well, they're going to cancel a contract. I won't be able to pay my bills. I won't be able to have a home. Like which of those two deaths are the ones that you think you're most scared of? I think social death. Okay. Tell me why. I don't know. Actually, it, I don't know if it's social or physical death because you don't, I'll tell you it's arrogant, but I'll, t I'll tell you uh, which one it is, but tell me what you're scared of. Like it, so play it through. So you I'm scared of like ruining my reputation is what okay. I'm always scared of. If you ruin your reputation, what are you scared would happen as a result? Like I won't, I won't be able to get new clients or, Okay, so it's the year 2022, and Sun has officially ruined his reputation. Good job, Sun. And uh, you have no clients. You have no reputation. You have no clients. In that movie, what are you scared happens next? If you aren't able to get any clients? I mean, we went through this exercise before, and I think that first time we did the workshop, I think I said social death, right? Because I know. I know. You, I think you I, have I, a tendency I could, to say social death. You're but, changing, you're actually changing my perspective. <laughs> uh, maybe my perspective has shifted since last year. Because now I'm like, oh, shit. Like, because I, I think I remember what I said a year ago was that I can always go get another job, right? Right. But. Well, I've also learned that people, over, people, they think that we're going through what we're going through right now is a rational exercise. And the reason that we're doing all this shit is irrational reasons. So I'm not looking for logic. I'm not, I'm not looking for your brain to make meaning. I'm looking okay. for the actual irrational fear that eight year old at home coming home with bad school grades, wondering what his father is going to do. I'm looking for that. So like, yeah. So, so if you don't have any clients and your reputation is shit, what are you scared happens next? You're there with Gigi. You're looking at each other. And, you, and the next two months are going to happen in your life. 
or the next 30 days are going to happen in your life. What are you scared is going to happen in those 30 days? Yeah, I guess if I, if my reputation is ruined, I probably can't even get a job. <laughs> okay. And so if you can't get a job, no, I, I probably can't, I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, I think my, I think my answer still stands because like one of my fear, cause I've talked to people about this and a lot of people are like, are afraid to fail in business or something like that because of financial things. Like for me, like the bigger threat is like, like everybody around me, like, you know, cause I've been doing this for 10 years now mm -hmm. so, and uh, like my family, my friends, everybody knows that like, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about my business and all of that, that if I fail at this, it's like, it's literally crushing my identity. Right. Like, <laughs> like night owl has been kind of my, you know, my kind of purpose. Yep. And and it's, 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 it's like my life's work, right? Almost like how a pastor going back to church, how a pastor would be about building their church or whatever it is. This, this is yep. my church. And by, if I fail at that and I have to close shop, it's almost like everybody around me, my family, friends are going to be like, Oh, son's failed. Like he, <laughs> so out of curiosity, when you think about that moment, mm -hmm. Are you, what would you be more scared of not having a life with purpose? Actually, out of curiosity, let me, before I get there, mm -hmm. social death, who's the person that you would be most scared turns their back on you and no longer loves you? Not probability, just which one, would, what would hurt the most? What would hurt the most? Yeah. I'm probably Gigi because she's the one that's the closest to me. Like okay, what are you more scared of? Losing Gigi or having to live on the street in a cardboard box? Probably losing Gigi. Okay. Like <laughs> so, so, but here's the important thing that we just did. You, what you were doing is doing what all human beings are doing, which is taking for granted the fact that we get to think through an existential lens and the higher levels of Maslow's hierarchy of needs because we have our core needs met. And so you were talking about your purpose and night owls and, and all that's great because people that have food and shelter and water and someone to love, they're fulfilled through those things, but they're not completely fulfilled. So they look for more. So they look for their purpose, mm -hmm. like night owl or whatever. So when you talk about social death, you were just talking about, I would lose night like owls. The, all of those things are only important. If you, if have, you have the other and... shit, if you have the other shit, <laughs> yes. And so, and so, and so, the thing is, is that we—it's a fight or flight response. You literally think you're going to fucking die, and so it's either you're scared, you feel like you're going to die if you lose Gigi, or you feel like you're going to die if you have to live in a cardboard box. And 99% of the time, people don't go there because they're still using logic. They're still trying to use logic, and so it's social death, but it's not the purpose. It's potentially that if you aren't living your purpose, you're not able to do things potentially in some way, you would let down the person that you love the most. Does that fit? Don't let me tell it, tell you that I, I don't know actually what's true for you, but it's not, it's not about your purpose. That's what you got to worry about when you're not worried about other things. Are you worried I guess about I'm, having I'm worried about, I am worried about being alone, like being like just me being alone by myself because okay. 
That like, makes TJ sense. and I have been through so much together that I feel like even if we were living in a cardboard box, if we were together, I think we can make it through it and we can, <laughs> we can overcome it. But if I was doing, if I was in a cardboard box by myself, I, I think I'll be screwed. <laughs> I think you just, uh, so when I'm doing this exercise, I usually have to fight through all like the intellect of the smart people yeah, yeah, I'm talking yeah. to, but I'm going to start using, you're in a cardboard box. What scares you more that you're in a box or that you're in the box alone? <laughs> and then I'll get to the answer a lot faster. But yeah, dude, that makes sense. And and I feel like you've always, as long as I've known you, you've really cared. What makes you so good at what you do and makes people love you is you really do care about the other people because you do want to be part of that tribe. So going, but going back to this, so, so we were talking about this because you're worried about what the client's going to think if you're not prepared. So we know that you're scared of social death. So now what we knew is we expose the lie and the distortion by doing what we call the fear factor, which does not involve Joe Rogan or eating insects. It is, it is literally saying, what is the probability of if that client fires you, what is the probability that Gigi will leave you on a scale of one to 10? I think it's zero. Okay. So, but... <laughs> Like most people, yes, thank you. Most people uh -huh. I talk to, they, they want to go against the rules. But if I divide by zero, it doesn't work for my equation. So it's convenient that I say it's one. Uh -huh. So you take the nine. Most of us walking around in our professional life have something on our calendar in the next two weeks that we're scared if we fuck this up, we're going to experience social or physical death. And what I'm here to say is just like yours, which is a nine for the client thing, you divide that by one. That means your fear factor is 900%. Yeah. You are 900% more scared of yeah. this thing than it's probable than it's yeah. probability of actually coming true. I mean, I like feeling, I, I would probably think that it's even more than that. Like all, all of my fears are so absurd. That yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, and, and, and it, it, it would be more right. Like I, yeah. I just chose the scale one to 10 cause it's yeah. easy, but it, it's, it's crazy how much we then as a result, the reason I like the fear factor is if it's 900%, if you are 900% more scared mm -hmm. than you actually need to be, mm -hmm. I guarantee you how you're allocating your time, attention, and resources is out of alignment too. Yeah. Right? No, so, the, exactly. so the executive that's staying all weekend to get the presentation right for the customer, I'm not saying they should avoid their responsibilities, but perfecting it to make sure the PowerPoint presentation has the right fonts and the right colors, all that is a 900% level of fear that's driving that that doesn't need to be there. And if you could, if you could deflate it, if you could take that 900% down to the one that it really is, that executive would be at home with their kid or at home with their family or at home uh, doing, being in service to their community or whatever. But meanwhile, because they feel that fear, they're at the 900% level and they're in that boardroom. And so they're literally spending their time on this earth, not fulfilling their unique purpose in this world. They're fulfilling their scared purpose in this world. So how do people, so you asked, how do people overcome it? Number one, identify your fear factor and your fear factor 900. helps you get 900%. <laughs> so then number two, and this one's really simple. What we just went through is complex. You take a piece of paper and I know you know this, but I'm going to say it for the benefit of your audience, you take a piece of paper and you write can't control in the top left, can't control in the top right. You draw a line down the middle and you list three or four things that you can't control about whatever it is that you're scared of. So in this case, the outcome you're worried about is the client will be disappointed. Write mm -hmm. three or four things that you can't control, three or four things that you can, 
And then what you do is you go through each can't control and you exit out. You have to do this actually on paper and write it because there's something that happens when your body's connected to a physical object. You X out each one and then you look at your can control, you circle each one. And what you're doing is you're engaging your body and your brain and literally transferring your energy away from the things that you can't control. to. So the it, that you you actually, do you think that actually makes you feel different? Yes. Every time I have someone do this, when I'm teaching them, I literally see them start to relax. Like the tension leaves them like a balloon that had a bunch of air and you just popped it because for us, we want to feel in control, but we spend so much time trying to control things that we can't, mm -hmm. that we end up being scared, anxious, not sleeping, all this kind of shit. When you go through this process, actively identifying the things that you can't control and ignoring them, and, ident and focusing on things that you can, you can go, okay, you know what? There's something I can do in all this yeah. mess. I'm going to allocate all this energy to that. Yeah. Like, I remember- It's kind of like was... when- Go ahead. It's kind of like when, uh, when, when, cause you know, when people say make a to-do list, I don't do, I'm not good with to-do lists, but when you actually make a to-do list, you right away feel better. If, if you're like overwhelmed- Yeah. Cause you have too much to do. And as soon as you make a list, you automatically feel better. Like, like you can- you can now you feel confident that you can take it on even though like maybe five minutes ago you felt like oh there's no way i can do all of this <laughs> so i've got someone in the mastery program to, yeah. to make your point who is really worried about what their owners are doing yeah. um, really worried about what their employees are doing and worried about their industry and all this kind of stuff and they're like i don't know if i should be in this company i'm so upset mm -hmm. all these things and like basically the outcome is, should I be a part of a company that's like this, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, okay, um, we go through the exercise. She's like, I don't know what I can control. I'm like, have you identified what your exact job responsibilities are? Mm -hmm. And instead of worrying about what all the people that report to you are doing and worrying about what all the people that above you are doing and worrying about all your customers and all that stuff, are you killing all of your responsibilities. Are you at a hundred percent doing your best? And she's like, no, I'm like, okay. So take all this energy that you're spending trying to control literally everybody on the fucking 7 billion people <laughs> essentially. And tell you what, let's let go of all that by just focusing on the actual thing you can control. And until you know that you've identified what you need to be good at in your job and you are killing it, don't worry about that other uh, stuff. And, and but you literally have to do that you every do, yes. time. It's not like you have this one aha moment and then the rest of your life, you're good. Like every no, scenario. An hour later, you will be gripping at the outcome and you'll yeah. need to fucking go through it again. Yeah. And that's why we call it muscle memory. <laughs> you're going to have, when I was going through my, uh, my first marriage did not end well and I ended up in a divorce. And I would call my best friend, Toby, like every day. And I'd be like, okay, here are all the things I'm scared of. All the things I'm worried about that my wife is doing, that my partner, my business is doing, that all these things... And I know what you're going to so say because you say it to me yeah. every day. You say, don't worry about what they're doing and just focus on yeah. yourself. But I literally can't let it go until you say it. And I'd be like, so Toby say it. He'd be like, well, I think what you need to do is you need to stop worrying about what your ex-wife is doing and what your, your partner, your company is doing. Just so do you think we doing. should go through this same exercise repeatedly, the same exact exercise every day? I, yeah, you need to, if you want to live in a place of surrendering the outcome, you need to live in a place mm -hmm. of practicing it. So it needs to be daily practice, daily practice. You think it has to be more than daily? 
At the beginning, yes. I think at the beginning, you know, one of the things they told me in recovery was, you know, I think people are addicted to being inauthentic and I call it wearing a mask. Um, they told me to, that sometimes I was going to have to like surrender and ask for help on a minute by minute basis at the beginning. But what I'll say is like, this is what I tell people is I say, it takes 28 days to really learn how to surrender something mm -hmm. in your first year in the mastery program. And part of this is theory because I don't exactly know. It takes 28 minutes to be able to surrender something at about five years in the mastery program, but you do this stuff for 10 years, it'll take you 28 seconds and it'll be a mm -hmm. reflex. And the best example I can use is I remember, um, you know, I would always worry about huge, terrible things happening before I got clean and before I learned how to surrender the outcome. And so like what my parents were doing, what my friends were doing, what, you know, everybody else was doing, it was just big drama all the time. I do 15, 16 years of this work and it's now a reflex. And so I'll give you the perfect example. About a year ago, my wife and I wake up to a flood in our house, okay? A supply line burst in the middle level of our house and it burst at about 11 p.m. at night. It's 5 a.m. in the morning. I sleep naked. Nobody wants to know that, but it's important because <laughs> there's a video on my phone of me running around my house naked because it's flooded. <laughs> Because my wife comes up and wakes me up and says, oh my God, the house is flooding. And I come downstairs and there's a lake in my living room and we have a level below it. And, and I don't even know what's down there. I don't want to know. And so I'm sitting there and I'm, and I immediately look for the source of where the water's coming from. And I'm trying to figure out where's, where it's coming from. And my wife is running around going, oh my God, what are we going to do this? And she goes downstairs. She sees that it's like raining in our, in our bottom level. And she's like, oh my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? It's so bad. I was like, baby, we can't control any of that right now. <laughs> All that matters is that I identify where the water's coming from and that you turn off the water to our house. That's all that matters. And it was like, I, I, I don't know how to, you do this work. You can have that reflex too. But like, I literally, you normal me, I wouldn't have even been thinking about shut off the water of the house. I wouldn't have been looking for the source of the leak as much. At first, I would have been like engaged in the drama of surveying all the damage and indulging my fear and, and all the bad things that are happening. My, my daughter started crying during all this. And I was like, can't control that. We got bigger fish to fry. She'll be all right. Mm -hmm. And so I would have been sucked in all this stuff. You think about the pandemic, you think about you know, 24 seven news, like people are doing that all the time. They're everybody's worried about their flood in their house. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, mm -hmm. thanks to 17 years of being a recovering addict and learning how to surrender the outcome, I was worried about two things and two things only the source of the leak and mm -hmm. shutting off the, the, the water to our house. And then once I had done that, the only two next two things I was worried about was calling a serve pro type company to because they know how to fix this stuff and calling my insurance company and make sure it's covered. So I'm not financially ruined. I can't control 99% of what's happening in my house. And, and it was a year long process and all that stuff. But my wife is somebody who was trained to be a COO of a hospital. We're talking about someone who is a badass at mm -hmm. every level. Elizabeth is a badass at every level, mm -hmm. but she didn't have 17 years of having to practice surrender the outcome because she wasn't a drug addict, but I do. And so as a result, it became a reflex. Now imagine being able to respond to all the things that stress you out that way. Imagine being able to respond to all the challenges in your life that way, or, or not all of them, but a lot of them. And suddenly you get a, a little bit of insight into not just how much can you reclaim energy and get happier, but how much can you actually 
be more potent and more powerful in the areas that you do care about just by simply surrendering the things that you can't control. But the way to get there is by, at least in the beginning, like writing those things, like whether it's your action card or whatever, writing it down and literally looking at it every Every day. day or like, Multiple times a day. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, every time so, you look at it, it's like you're, you're saying, I'm going to feel better. And then like, yeah. <laughs> Our system is you, you create an action card that essentially helps you identify what you can't control and what you can. Yeah. And your job is to read it for one can minute Can you explain what, the, what an action card is? I mean, I know, but. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so the three principles to the mastery system are practice rigorous authenticity, surrender the outcome, and do uncomfortable work. And we have specific steps that we take to be able to allow you to apply all of those to a mask. So, for example, um, if you struggle to share your unique perspective when you are pu- speaking publicly, what we do is we take you through, help you identify that that's the mask that you're worried about help you understand just like we did with you what the outcome is you're worried about getting rejected people not liking you and then identifying all the things that you can't control the things that you can and writing them down on a three by five card that we have and um and then there's the part of do uncomfortable work and some specific actions but for the for the sake of this argument you take this card where you've identified i hold back my unique perspective i can't control this i can't control that and you just put it somewhere where you read it one minute a day. You don't have to answer anything. You don't have to judge yourself. You just read it one minute a day. And what happens is it creates automatic, psychologists say this all the time, awareness is the only ingredient that you need in order to actually grow and change. And so this creates automatic awareness, which creates automatic growth, which creates automatic change and automatic leadership. So a practical example is I was holding back my unique perspective doing my keynotes. I wasn't talking about mask addiction. I was scared of what people would think. I created an action card that said, I'm holding back my unique perspective. I can't control that there will be haters in the crowd. You were, you were worried about what people think about you, like being an saying addict? This in a, no, no, about me saying that what people are struggling with is mask addiction. Like I genuinely believe that people are addicted to being inauthentic. And the reason that we haven't solved the problem of inauthentic leaders and in companies is because we haven't actually diagnosed the problem correctly. It's an addiction like anything else. In fact, it's more prevalent. Why, than why do you drug feel, addiction. why do you have the fear of talking about that? Um, because I'm not a clinical person. I'm not a scientist, uh, so okay, I don't okay. have. So you feel um, that you don't have the authority to talk about it? I don't. It. Yeah. I mean, I have, I, I, I'm just a drug addict, you know, of course the drug addict's going to think that. Uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, but so, yeah, I feel like. But I'm it's not, your I'm opinion. It's your unique perspective. It's my unique and, perspective. Yeah. And, and here's the deal. And people are hiring me, spending a lot of money based off of my TED talk and whatever to help to have me communicate my unique perspective. Mm-hmm. And then I'm still scared of sharing it. And then you hide, you hide it. And then I hide it. So <laughs> they I, want so you to for, talk about your unique perspective and you hide it. <laughs> yes. And so even with uh, me being a public speaker up until mm-hmm. three months ago, until I created my mask-free action card that does everything we've been talking about, mm-hmm. I wasn't talking about mask addiction. Mm-hmm. And then I created my card and I, re- and I wrote down, I can't control that there will be dis- people that don't believe in this and haters but I can control if I carry the message to the people that want to hear it. Mm-hmm. And then my uncomfortable work was to collect 10 followers and one hater. That was my uncomfortable work for the next 28 days. And so what would happen is I would read this card every day and it would literally and they immediately me. feel better. <laughs> I, yes, because, because I don't know about you, but I walk around yeah. with the weight of the world. No, I, know shoulders, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Like I, feel I know like exactly what you everything. mean. 
I got to please everybody. I got to do all that kind of stuff. And reading it every day reminded me of how much energy I'm forfeiting when I do that. Like so much energy. And here's the other thing. It also rewires our brain and manipulates our reward center. So for example, if before this action card, I got a comment on one of my YouTube videos where a guy called me a sociopath. Prior to this card, I would have been like, oh my God, am I a sociopath? Or what are the people going to think about me? What are people going to think about his comment? Does this mean the mastery program is going to fall apart? I would have worried about all that kind of stuff. But because I had re read this card every day that said, I can't control the haters. I can't, con I can't control whether I carry the message to the believers. And my job was to collect haters and believers. When I got that comment, I was like, okay, got my hater. Cool. Now I'm going to go carry the message to the people that want to hear it. And now I talk about mask addiction far more prevalently. I'm still adjusting than I did. And it's all thanks to literally reading this card for one minute a day. And mm -hmm. by the third week, it becomes muscle memory in your brain. And that's the key is if you keep- That's like the equivalent to, like reading that action card is like the equivalent of like you taking your thoughts and putting it on a to-do list, like, <laughs> and like immediately I, I feeling better. I, to me, it's a little, yes, but I'll take it a step further. It's a little uh -huh. bit like saying I want to, I, I, what I really want is I want to have bigger biceps and it's going into uh -huh. the gym and doing bicep curls every day mm -mm -mm -mm. because you need to have the muscle because I will have an endless list of people that I'm worried about of what they're going to think about me and an endless people list of people that I want to serve. What I really need, if I keep writing down the things that I can't control and the things that I can, but I don't ever get to the uncomfortable work where I actually have to- Yeah, the uncomfortable the work part is the, cause like, yeah, it's, cause it doesn't matter if you write that to-do list, you don't actually go through and do it, right? I mean, how many so, people here literally write yeah. a to-do list to make themselves yeah. feel better and they're always yeah. drowning in to-do lists? Yeah, 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 and then after that, so the uncomfortable work is actually going through and doing it now. Yes. So when this, everything I described is how you mentally surrender the outcome. The uncomfortable work is where you find out when you look at all those things you can control, what do I need to go do right now to go live this and build this muscle? And then you read that card every day and you go do those things. And after 28 days, you'll find- And after you read the card, it gives you the courage to do that uncomfortable work. Which yeah. Normally would have been a lot harder before you read that card. And here's the other thing. We don't build action cards in isolation. So like my book um, literally says that if you just read it, you're fucked. Like it doesn't do anything mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. You need to do it. Like we build action cards with a mass free sponsor in the middle of a mass free society where we share them. So that way they are able uh -oh. to be there with me when I say no, they're able to uh -oh. be with me when I say this is mask addiction. Mm. I'm able to pull those people. Like if you can do this work, this mask-free work in a society of mask-free leaders that are doing the same work, it insulates you from all the things that you're worried about, about what other people will say. Like I was negotiating for speaking. Uh, someone asked me to speak somewhere and I was negotiating. Um, and I've been telling people like that they should say no when they feel like they should say no, right? Instead of mm -hmm. saying yes. And they lowballed me on my speaking fee. And I, historically would have just said yes, because I was scared to challenge it, scared to say no, and all that kind of stuff. I would love to tell you I'm a badass and I've grown. And so I, I told no, like, no, man, in our Monday night group coachings that we do every Monday night, other people were talking about things where they were scared to advocate for their perspective or their value. And by hearing them, they made me stronger. And so I literally when I'm writing that email, I know I'm not alone that I got a whole cheerleader squad. And then 
lo and behold, Brooke on my team, who's part of the mastery program too, she sees this Hold email and she sends me a text. And, <laughs> like this, so this is going to make me look bad in some ways, but I I need to. Uh, oh, where is it? Here we go. Oh well, I don't know where it is. But she basically said, "Hey, two months ago you would have just said yes, and you wouldn't have been willing to command your worth." And now, oh, this is what she said. Just wanted to send you a note telling you that I think you had a really big victory with the crisp event. Sorry, crisp. I feel like at one point you would have accepted the offer because that's what they asked for instead of pushing back. And now it's 50% more. I know it's not easy for you to do that. So just wanted to acknowledge it. Brooke is the reason that I was able to do that. People mm -hmm. in the mastery society were why I was able to do that. And then sure enough, I got another email from someone that tried to lowball me on speaking fee. And now I had no problem just it's saying easy. no. <laughs> yeah. Do you think there's some sort of like a accountability kind of thing there too? Yes, because it goes back to if I'm not trying to be in your tribe, I'm trying to be in their tribe. So when you think about that client that you're worried about disappointing, you're either trying to be in their tribe or you're trying to be in the mass free tribe. I learned that in, in, in the 12 steps. Being around a bunch of people that are drinking all the time in work culture you find out pretty quick, are you trying to be in their tribe? And then you relapse? Mm. Are you trying to be in the tribe of the people that are sober or clean? And for me, that was life or death. Mm. So yes, you, it's not accountability in terms of like someone like beating you up if you don't do it. Mm -hmm. It's accountability of saying, these are the people that I want. I want the values that they have are the ones that I want to live by and vice versa. And they're reflecting that back to me. So like, while I might be at a work thing and people might like almost laugh at me for not drinking, and going home early, everybody at the bar, like when I would work at, uh, at my Fortune 50 company at Dell, people would make fun of me going to bed early and like not being there. If I'm trying to be part of their culture and manage how they think, I would have gone back, right? But I'll go back to my room and I call one of my friends who's in recovery because I want to be in his culture. And you'd be like, yeah, dude, fuck them. Like they're just down there swilling poison, like not judging people that drink, but he's like, and they're trying to get you to do the same when it would kill you. Like, no, dude, you're doing a great thing. Go to bed. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, I, Toby, I want to be in your tribe. I don't, don't want to be in their tribe. So do you think, um, uh, by the way, if anybody wants to create their own action card and yeah, look at how uh, the mass free, the mass free society is also kind of like a tribe. Yep. I mean, it is a tribe. So if you guys want to uh, try that out, you can go to whatsmymask.com. Yep. What's my mask.com, you know, and, and if you want to check out son's work, everything that I have that's digital is son's work. So you can, you can see <laughs> what he does. So another thing I wanted to ask you is, um, so obviously tribes are important in, in like addiction recovery and also yep. living mask free. Cause it seems like, because I, if you're like, if you're, let's say you're like an alcoholic and you're hanging out with people that are drinking every day, that's, and that's your tribe. You're never going to recover from that. But if like the 12 step people are your tribe, then it makes it easier for you to recover. And this is the same thing, right? If you have a mask free society that is supporting you that are kind of holding you accountable in that sense. Yeah. Um, it, it becomes easier for you to fight against those, those other tribes of fakers, so to speak. Right. Yep. So how important are tribes in our lives? Like, can somebody be like a lone wolf and, you know, still accomplish 
I wanted to be a sociologist, but I didn't finish my degree because I was too busy getting high. Um, so <laughs> this isn't going to be an expert opinion, but here's the way that I, I see it. Most quote unquote lone wolves that you hear about or you see in reality <clears throat> are connecting with other lone wolves, either on the internet mm. or in other ways. So <clears throat> I, I just think that, I think that we all, we're human beings are social by nature. I think we are all um, seeking to be part of, of a tribe. There are outliers. Like, I mean, I don't know if you're, if you're uh, a clinically diagnosed sociopath, do you care about being part of a tribe? I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know. But I think 99.9% .9 of people are wired to be part of a tribe. That doesn't mean that they hang out with that tribe. <clears throat> it could be that, you know, there are people that um, isolate themselves and they have like paper mentors or people that they look up to on Instagram or, you mm -hmm. know, in the music industry or whatever. But like they everybody that like everybody that looks up to Gary Vee, they they are they resonate with the same message that he says. Yeah. Therefore, even though they don't know each other, <laughs> like that can be right. a tribe. They're, they're they, part of that tribe. Yeah, but like yeah. you, you could have someone that's like, oh, you know what? fuck society. And I don't believe like anyone in a job should be doing that. Well, guess what? They're congregating yeah. online. They're finding other people that have the same belief. That, yeah, they think like, that I think the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think most of us, we want, and then, unless uh, and something absolutely fundamentally terrible happened to you mm -hmm. biologically or psychologically, mm -hmm. everybody wants to be, not wants to be actually needs mm -hmm. to be, has a need to be mm -hmm. part of a tribe no matter what that tribe is. So like that, like the example that you gave, right? Like people, let's say somebody's like, oh, you know, fuck this tribe or whatever. And they're going out and, and then there's a bunch of other people who are saying the same exact thing. And somehow like, because they share that thing about themselves, they're a tribe. Like when they talk to each other, they're gonna be like, oh, you too, me too. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so how important is that so do you think people should choose their tribe based on like what they want? Like when people join the mass free society, is it because they feel some sort of a, something like drawn to be around other people that are authentic or they want to be authentic, they don't want to be fake? Or is it because, you know, they, they themselves want to be authentic. So now they force themselves to be in this tribe. Do you know what I mean? Or are they yeah. automatically drawn to these people because? I think it's, I think it's both. One of the things I've always said is um, human beings are essentially difference making engines. So like we compartmentalize things. And one of the ways that we identify ourselves is by defining ourselves as not part of something more effectively sometimes than actually saying who we are and what we're about. So most people first identify themselves as saying, I'm not part of that. So I think people that are drawn to mastery pro program are like, I am, I hate inauthentic leaders. I hate people that are fake, just like you were talking about. But at the same time, they also, if they just live off of that negative, they're never actually nourished and like never actually cultivate who they are. So the best tribe tells you they suck and we're awesome because, and I'm going to make you awesome. And that works both um, in positive environments and negative environments. It can work, you know, for uh, a school to help second graders learn how to read. And it can also, you know, help create a cult or a gang or, you know, someone that's, you know, a group of people that's going to do bad. But I think if you look around this world, everybody's saying they suck and, and, and this is what we believe in. 
And it's not necessarily because people suck. It's just we need to be constantly reminded of the difference between us and quote unquote others in order to actually define who we are. And then we need other people to reflect back to us who we are or, or else mm. we start to desire to become part of the other. Mm-mm. Probably too philosophical, did that, but did that make sense? Yeah, no, yeah. I, it makes sense. Like from what you said, like this is what I took, this is kind of what I took away, right? Like we're, we're gonna be, we're tribal anyway. So we're gonna belong to a tribe and we're gonna, Yes, we're going to resonate with people that we're like, and we're going to be like, oh, those other people suck. And we're going to do that anyway. Um, so why not utilize that to like make, make a change in the habit. If you want to be more successful, if you want to be more mask free, if you want to quit drugs and you want to yeah. be drug free, why not force yourself into a tribe who hates <laughs> that? Yes. <laughs> And yes, if you like, I'm sure a lot want, of people that start 12 step program, it's not like they're like, Oh, I'm resonating with these 12 step people so much. That's why I go there. It's they no. go there because they're not drawn to this tribe. <laughs> no, no, we go there kicking and screaming and usually thanks to a judge like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then eventually that becomes your tribe. Yes. And then you're like, you know, I hate those people who are you know, trying to make me do drugs or, you know what I mean? Like, yes. If, if you want to be able to survive uh, as a human on this earth, you need to find your tribe. You're, and you're either going to find it based off of how you're trying to help yourself or how you're trying to hurt yourself or what you think is good or bad. But practically speaking, mm-hmm. if you are somebody that struggles with, with being inauthentic or, you know, wearing a mask, you're going to have a healthy dose of probably disdain for politicians but if we just sit there and we talk about how much people suck, then we don't know how we need to act and we don't know how to encourage the authenticity within us. And so that's why you need to join a, a society of people that are like that. Same thing with 12 step people. I didn't go there uh, because I was like, Oh, I believe in being sober. I went there because I didn't have a choice because the way I was living was going to kill me. The world was telling me that the way I was living was bad, but I didn't agree. Mm-mm. But once you immersed me in a community of people that felt even more like me than the average drinker or drug user. Mm-hmm. And they were doing something that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It changed everything, changed everything. So it's not necessary that you're drawn to these people. You're drawn to the goal. Like you're drawn to the fact that these people have the same goal that I have. Yes. So they might not, I might not have anything in common with that guy, but we're, we're after the same goal. Yes. that can also become a tribe. Yeah. Uh, it goes back to how we started the convo, which is probably a great way to start wrapping it up. But like, I say this to be to acknowledge the truth, not because I'm being pessimistic on humanity. It's just we got to be real. It's it's about it's a selfish survival driver. I don't think that I can be successful and survive if I'm surrounded by people that think differently than me. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I recognize as an enlightened human, or in, and all human beings are, are at this point able to think, or most are able to think about these things. I also know that I need to make changes or live a certain way in order to survive. And so one of two things happens. I join that tribe because they're like me, or I join that tribe because they're who I want to be. Mm. But either way, I learn that over time by also learning who I don't want to be 
and who and what tribes I don't want to be a part of. And so it's both. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to feel safe in a tribe if they all think differently than me. Mm-hmm. Like one of the things we say in 12 step programs is diversity is our strength, but we all have the same freaking thing in common and the same re- reason that we're there, but we all look different. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to go there because I, we were the same. I was, I wanted to go there because they had what I wanted. And then I stay because they, they are who I want to be. Got it. That's that, I think that's a, that's an important note for us to talk about next time you're here, because yeah. we talked about it all from a point of like the psychology of tribes and from the person who's in a tribe and all of that. But right now you as a person who's building a church, building a tribe, um, maybe on the next one, I want to kind of talk to you about the other side of that, how, how you can actually accommodate a tribe so that people would, yes, you know, I would want to be that. part of I it. I will learn yeah. something in that conversation. I learned yeah. something in all our conversations, but I would love to do that. <laughs> cool. Um, thank you so much, Michael, for, I know you're a busy man, uh, but it, this was good. Cause like, you know, we it, we don't get to talk to each other that much anymore because uh, like I'm always working with Elizabeth now. But yeah, it's my wife; she's the problem. So I just got to <laughs> her so I can spend more time with you. Um, <laughs> well, and then when we talk, it's usually more targeted. So I, I really enjoy our ability to like just talk about um, these concepts because I think that's what made us connected in the first place. So. Um, I love you, dude. And I'm grateful to, I don't care if it's on a podcast or whatnot, but it's easier here probably because you you have to make content. We have to make content anyhow. Um, (laughs) So you get to kill two birds with one stone, but I would love to come back and I would, I want to support you to the best degree that I can. And uh, I don't want to touch. I love you, bro. Love you too, man. (laughs) All right. right. Hang out with my wife and children now. It's more than one child. Yeah, it's a boy this time, right? Yep. Yep. Can we go hang out with my daughter and my son? All right. Give my best to Gigi, Michael. I will. Bye. Bye.